You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Finally getting a little taste of almost winter here, Tracy, in that it's oh, it's a little bit cooler. Yeah. It's a little bit cooler. It's not it's not like cold, cold. It's it's unseasonably warm for this time of year in the Denver metro area. So what does that actually mean for, for Colorado weather? Because I, I speak Midwestern. So. Well, we're, we're in a drought and we have been in for okay. a yeah. while. You know, it's yeah. not as bad as California. But we have we have drought areas, and uh, normally we would have a little bit more snow by now. Mm-hmm. We would have had our first big metro snow, and we haven't really had that. So gotcha. it just means everything's really dry. No, yeah, because it's it's thirty seven and flurrying right now in Chicagoland, and I hates it. We hates it. It yes. is fifty nine. Right oh, now. I got your weather. What but the it's hell, dude? windy. But it's windy. We're windy and too. Little yeah. little bit of something going on up in the mountains, but mm. other than that, that's it. So, you know, wind wind through the mountains, all of that is very poignant. Post post, um, you know, uh, the Halloween recording and all that sort of stuff. Yes, but um, but here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of cool. It's kind of dreary. So what we really need uh, is a guest and we someone do. just to lift our spirits and, and warm our hearts. Warm yeah. our hearts. Yeah. So you got anything for me? I do. And I was talking about this earlier, but I, it's just like being a parent, you're not supposed to have a favorite child. And just like being a teacher, you're not supposed to have like a favorite student, but we do, we do in both cases. It is a thing. It happens. You're just not allowed to talk about it. There are definitely certain guests where uh, based on the book that's coming up or what I know of their work or something, like I get more psyched than others. And so no shade to anyone else that we have had on, but I am super excited about the two guests that we're having, our our guest for this week and our guest for next week. I'm very pumped about it. We've got K.E. Flan here to talk about how to survive a human attack. Yep. Yep. You heard that right. Not how to survive a zombie attack, not how to survive a flesh-eating monster attack, which is kind of a zombie anyway. That's very redundant of me. But how to survive a human attack. This is right. This is the guide that all of you cryptids have been needing. Kathy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on and being monster advocates. We are. We're, we're, we try to be inclusive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I... Work. I, take me to the pitch where this happened or like the moment. It's like, I, I have to know. This is just like so up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the germ for how it started was that, you know, my husband and I, big, big, you know, nerds that we are, usually have the same taste in shows. But when it came to The Walking Dead, we diverged. <laughs> and he was look, a big fan and I was not which mm-hmm. I never understood why, but I wouldn't watch it. I would just go sit in the other room. And I was supposed to be writing something. I, I was writing a lot of literary fiction and a lot of um, you know essays and things. And I'd been commissioned to write an essay. So I was sitting in the other room and he was watching The Walking Dead. And the zombies, I could just hear them screaming and screaming and screaming in the other room. And it was so loud. And I suddenly was like, you know, well, one thing I figured out is one reason I think I can't watch the show is it's so loud. And I was like, they're, because they're not doing very well, those zombies. Mm-hmm. And I thought, they're really bad at this, these zombies. You know, they're, they're getting slaughtered. And there's so many of them, they should be winning. And so I just mm-hmm. found myself, instead of doing, like, as you all know as writers, 
instead of doing what I was supposed to be doing, I like did the other project that just popped into my head that moment, which was I need to write some advice for these zombies because they they are terrible at this. So I just started writing these this advice in the form of like FAQs, like you would see on a you know troubleshooting aspect of a website, and mm-hmm. I didn't really know what it was. It was a, is this an essay? Is this fiction? I don't know what this is, but um, it you know, got picked up very quickly, you know, and in a magazine as experimental. And so I was like, I'm experimental now. Like, this is my, <laughs> this is my new thing. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it just kind of evolved from there because I had so much fun doing it. Then it was like, oh, well, there's all these other monsters that need help. And wait a minute, they all die at the end. Like, you know, <laughs> so I just, Found myself. There's a lot of, a lot of heart here. There's a lot of empathy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I had seen the creature from the Black Lagoon when I was a kid in 3D. My mom had taken me to, with the glasses. It was a special showing. And that movie had haunted me my whole life. I always identified with the monster. And that the imagery in it is so beautiful. It was the first movie that was ever filmed underwater. And mm-hmm. um, it's just this crisp black and white. And it's like, it's so campy and kitschy and gorgeous. And um, so the swamp monster had to be next. You know, I was like, well, he just he just wants some friends, poor guy. And yeah. never seen anyone shaped like him before. All his friends are snakes. So <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> of course he's excited. Of course he wants one. Going to go to the boat and take one. Of course he is. There's like a Dear Carolyn Hack sort of line there where like the swamp monster's writing into her and be like, all my friends are snakes. What should I do? Exactly. Like- exactly. So anyway, but that's the kind of germ of it idea-wise. But then um, the pitch thing is like such an, a long story as far as I started out, you know, not really knowing what these were. Are they fiction? Are they nonfiction? And then um, my agent at the time didn't like the idea very much. So then I found <laughs> an agent who did. So it was like a whole, this, there's more to it than what I'm saying. But right, like, yeah, long yeah. story. But like basically the pitch what I wrote the whole proposal in world. So Mm -hmm. it was like to the editor, you, you, who is a monster and needs help. You know, that Mm. was how I wrote the proposal. So it was like, they're either going to like that or they're not, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was just like, I think the world changed, you know, in the interim of time that it took me to like come to the place I needed to be with the proposal and Mm. with finding the market for it and all that. It was like, the timing was incredible, I think, because so much time had passed and I'd worked on other things and so on and come back to it. And all of a sudden, I feel like everyone was prepared, much more prepared to see the reality of, you know, humans as antagonists. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the world had changed so much in a few years. You know, I think yeah. that that was it was more um, germane to people um, in 2021 than it was when I started it. I got a my first short story sale, and we won't say only. We'll say first. <laughs> yeah, it's the beginning. Yeah. Uh, a, a long time ago, actually, was a story about a couple of friends who were, you know, fighter pilot and and co pilot, and they're 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 out in space and they're in deep space and they're they're watching this invasion force kind of happen and they decide they have to stop it to save the realm and all this kind of crap and you know they fly on and they take on the the aliens who are invading and they managed to, to take some down, but at the same time they and an alien ship crash. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that, that 
you see in the story and here's the spoiler because it is like a 15 year old story is uh you know the 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 two buds are trying to to get out of the wreck and 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 save themselves and here comes the alien walking on two feet towards them mm. oh, and wow. the invasion force was the humans oh wow mm. that's cool <laughs> yeah well i guess you're that that story and what you're talking about kathy kind of takes me to there's something i think about the science fictional and fantastical mindset where i think we're in our in our best of times, we're prepared to be otherized. Like we ourselves as human beings are prepared to look at ourselves as being a little bit weird. And so, you know, it's sort of finding the niche of of people who want to publish how to survive as a human attack is one thing. But I think there's a lot of people out there who are sort of like intrinsically interested in like, how must we look to the unexplainable things around us that we consume in our media and that we sort of, that they, there's this desire to interpret that they have reasons, like they have needs, they exist, they do stuff. And, and because of that, I think it's, there's something that's like really sharp and satirical too about how to survive a, a human attack where in some ways the monsters are the butt of the joke of of you know that there are sly commentaries on their ineptitudes and their their struggles but there's a lot in there also that's sort of pointing out like how human beings are weird fanny pack wearing <laughs> loud cowardly creatures with thumbs and that like just the thumbs and the cowardice actually go a long way <laughs> making us able to deal with things well, yeah, it was like, I just started thinking about, like, as I say, it was just started with this one idea. But then as I started getting further and further into it, I'd be like, well, wait a minute, this particular monster, I'd be thinking about each monster at a time. And then I would be thinking, well, wait a minute, like, this mummy, like, never did anything to anyone. Like, he was just sleeping in his yeah. little bed. And like, people came in and like, tried to take all his stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, is, of course he's angry, you know, like, <laughs> it just, once I started thinking about everything sort of quote unquote backwards, I guess, it was like a lot of the times the humans started it, yeah. you know, it was like yeah. they, they went into that, that character's, that individual's home in some way and provoked them. And then they were mad about it, you know, right. <laughs> it like, How dare. Some, yeah, somehow, <laughs> this is the monster you know <laughs> yeah no i mean i gotta think that the reaction of the mummy has got to be a little bit like me when i wake up unexpectedly 10 minutes before my alarm was actually set exactly where i'm just exactly. laying there really pissed for that 10 minutes like god damn it like <laughs> That's exactly i was it. owed that t there's not look there was a different plan like i was supposed to there they are like i'm just imhotep waiting to wake up in the afterlife <laughs> and have my heart weighed on the scales of justice and and mercy but no no, y'all got to come rolling up in here and being like, ooh, I wonder what he looks like and cracking this thing open. Oh, like, I mean, what's this? Our coffee is made of gold. Maybe there's more, like, loot inside, you know? Like, let's open yeah. it, you know? And yeah, the sarcophagus like, yeah. is actually the original loot box. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> all of the all of the, the the Gaza Valley is just a big loot drop for for colonial Europeans. There we go. Exactly, it's, it's the whole thing right there. And I was just like thinking, like, if you were immortal, you know, like, and you're just sleeping, and like every time you wake up, like it's somebody else in a, like a yet another weird outfit. Their mm -hmm. outfits change dramatically for him. You know, it probably feels like a few seconds for him. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. But somebody shows up in a corset or something and then the next time they're wearing, you know, whatever. So it's like, that must be very strange, you know? My mom used to always say that every fashion cycle turns around every like 20 to 30 years or so, which I have now lived long enough that I've been able to see a little bit of this occur. And I teach at the high school level. So I am in the extremely disorienting place where the sophomores and juniors that I'm teaching right now are dressing exactly like I did when I was a sophomore and junior in high school (laughs) and does not compute. I don't know what to do about this. It looks like they broke into my closet. Because I still have most of that, I think, right? Right. Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) And so with that, you know, if if you're the vampire going into your long, you know, reverie of slumber or something, I wonder if you wake up at the wrong intervals, do you not even realize that time has passed? Because like, it's been that 20 to 30 years and they're wearing bell bottoms again, but you don't even know that it's again. It just seems like, oh, bell bottoms, yeah, must be. Well, yeah, God, you like, came is he fast. like, well, if I just, yeah. if, you know, the cape is going to come back sometime. So he's just right. Stick yeah, it's with the it, ultimate you know? act of sartorial faith. <laughs> like, I'm, I believe in the cape. It's gonna, it's, it's a look. It's iconic. Just so stand by it. Well, it depends on the vampire too. Like, if you have Lestat, Lestat changes with the times, right? He he adapts right. because he he's he's a he's a big predator. But if you look yeah, at something true. like the vampires in, in what we do in the shadows, they don't adapt. <laughs> no, they just stick with it. At all. They're wearing the same <laughs> shit they wore 200 years ago. And they don't have a fucking clue. And they None. just kind of look. But what's cool is they kind of just look goth, you know? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the most adaptable one of them is the energy vampire. Yes. Like he's, 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 he is a creature of this world, right? Yes. He is totally able to function in, in what this world gives to us. Colin oh, Robinson. Yeah. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. I, so yeah. my thing about what we do in the shadows was that, so this book took me about, I mean, start to finish was because there were big lulls in between where I was working on other things. It was probably seven years, you know, between mm-hmm. the first idea and then when it came out. So in between that show, which I had seen as the film, um, but yeah. that show came out and I was really excited about it, but denied myself the pleasure of watching it because I was afraid that it was too similar to like what yeah. I was doing and yeah. I didn't want to be influenced by it like, you know, accidentally. So I didn't watch it. But the minute that the book came out, I binged the whole thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it is very fresh on my mind, the whole thing. And oh my gosh, it's incredible. Like, I was worried about it because um, I love the film so much. So you always mm. have that worry that it's not sure. going to live up yep. to it. But I so love like the direction they went and the different um, things they did with the characters and the way the storylines have just peeled off. And mm-hmm. um, oh my gosh, it's just, well, I'm and, sure your audience knows it, but it's amazing. And it helps that the people who created the movie in the first place yeah, were part of the show. Yeah, I think and they, so. yeah. they, you know, uh, what's his name, Jermaine? Yeah, uh, From, he um, ran. He conference. ran the first and second season, I believe. Mm-hmm. So he was the showrunner. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. can see that, like you can feel it, and it's really cool how they built on what they had already, ha- you know, mm-hmm. already had, and went yeah. in oh, a yeah. different direction. Like I love Nadia's doll. Like that's my one of my yes. favorite aspects. <laughs> Spoilers, I won't talk about it. Nadja, Nadja, Nadja. <laughs> so we kind of already got to this with the creature at the Black Lagoon with you, Kathy, of like the idea of like what what is the creature that your heart goes out to most? Or unless I don't know, it's since been superseded. But I was wondering, Patrick, do you have a do you have a cryptid or a creature or a monster that you just you can never quite 
bring yourself to loathe them the way that that the narrative wants you to or yes and 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 it's because it's because of uh different ways that the character has been portrayed throughout the decades essentially Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. very very evil most of the time the the one that kind of gets me is when they play this character as a uh just wants to be left alone and keeps kind of getting sucked into doing stuff and and being bullied and it's bill uh, murray isn't it no it's it's, bill murray it's solomon grundy (laughs) oh okay (laughs) solomon grundy ah uh one of my favorite story arcs with solomon grundy comes from the uh the animated justice league series Mm-hmm. Where he is befriended by Hawkgirl, because Hawkgirl oh, okay. kind of understands him a little bit and realizes that he's just being used, and and Grundy's like, I just want to be left alone. Of course, he mm-hmm. can't say that, right? He's just yeah. like Grundy, be left alone, you know, something <laughs> right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and he ends up being an antihero, mm-hmm. right? He saves the day a couple of times, uh, but he does it begrudgingly. He doesn't really want to do it, but Bird Girl's in trouble. And he's going to help mm-hmm. Bird Girl because Bird Girl is nice to him. And uh, they kind of played with that recently on DC Star Girl as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Having, uh, you know, Grundy kill some people and someone come for revenge. I'm trying not to spoil things, but someone come for revenge and then realize that Grundy really doesn't have a choice and kind of befriends Grundy and starts taking care of Grundy. And mm-hmm. as soon as you're nice to Grundy, Grundy's nice to you. Right. Yeah. It's, it's only yeah. when when they lock him up and they poke him and make him angry and, and force him to be evil that he tends to be evil. Rehabbed Pitbull Solomon Grundy is the cutest. <laughs> Solomon Grundy. Yeah. yeah, really is. Like, saved from the dog fighting ring. Solomon Grundy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's totally like a, such a great example because I mean, who can't identify with that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for ghosts. Well, I was going to ask you what yours was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for ghosts because I, in, in most narratives, they are themselves some kind of victim mm-hmm. and their, their victim status has left them trapped in the in-betweens. Right. And they're just, they're just trying to it's kind of the whole, the home invasion kind of thing that we, we talked about before that they're just trying to use the space that is there to house themselves. Right. Well, um, it was their house. It's their right. house it's their, I mean, <laughs> Or they're trying to find a space to be. You're like, yeah. okay, fine, they possessed you. Do you have any idea how inconvenient it is to not have a body? Exactly. And, and I think a serious part of, like, developmentally for me, um, I think this this way of thinking kicked in because of seeing the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze, <laughs> like, ages ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, when, that, I was, when I was why. a small human. That's why. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 No, if this is like, you're about to talk to me about the Isley brothers and like sweaty clay scenes, I was like, eight <laughs> you when yeah, I saw you know, Patrick, it, so that wasn't Patrick really Swayze, doing anything. Patrick Swayze with a shirt off as a ghost really spoke to you. <laughs> Not when I was eight. I was I was very confused by that scene, and my parents made me leave the room. Uh, so uh, I mean, okay. I. You know, it was only much later in my life that I came to realize that the whole thing with um, with Whoopi Goldberg and whatnot, and like um, that that 
I actually thought that somehow he had like physically substituted in for her when he's interacting with his with his girlfriend. And then it was only much later as an adult when I somehow happened upon the movie and ended up rewatching that I'm like, oh, snap, this is kind of like low key lesbian thing going on here. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, ooh, eight year old me like whoosh right over the head there. Um, But that really was the beginning of of for me, I think feeling bad for ghosts as being sort of like victims. And the guy in the subway, the subway ghost, who pushed me? Did you push me? Um, that he's sort of trapped in the in-between. So yeah, ghosts for the win. Oh, There's yeah. a- I mean, in, in that particular movie, it's like, who, you know, basically you've got this guy talking and talking and his significant other not hearing him. Like, mm-hmm. hmm. You know, that doesn't seem like something people could connect with. Yeah. Yeah. Which also, you know, interesting reversal because she's been, you know, being like, just just say, I love you. Say, communicate with me. Be emotionally present. And he's like, ditto. And so it's like, yeah, maybe maybe you actually as a more sophisticated viewer of it again as adult, maybe I'm like, maybe you needed to sweat it out as a ghost for a little bit there, bra. Like maybe that maybe that was kind of necessary. Um, to teach you proper relationship dynamics. <laughs> there's a there's a show from the BBC that has now been remade as a CBS show, and it's called Ghosts. If you want to watch the BBC show, it's on HBO Max. If you want to watch Ghosts, it's on CBS or it's on uh, Paramount Plus, right? Mm-hmm. But the the premise is kind of what you're talking about a little bit there, Tracy. It's that it, in 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 Kathy, it's that they were there first. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the British version, it, I think, is very funny and mm. poignant because these people move into this house and there's already people living there, ghosts. And the ghosts yeah. go all the way back to a Neanderthal. Mm. So you have, you have just centuries and eons of ghosts in this house going back forever some of them can talk some of them can interact and do stuff and some of them can't uh but they're all in this house and when the the the, there's a a couple and when she has a near-death experience suddenly she can see the ghosts and she can hear them and talk to them huh and it's very funny and of course uh it, it went the all in the family route of being funny in britain first and then being adapted by an american for american television Uh, but, uh, it's, it's good. And it, and it kind of talks about that whole thing about they were there first. And that's, that's their whole premise. It's like, this is our house. We lived here right. first. Yeah. And then Neanderthal's like, well, you know, honestly, I, <laughs> excuse me, uh, hello. You, you built the house where I was and they're yeah. like, oh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, it's, I, I I'm going to steal from Eddie Izzard here, uh, and one of her bits, but, um, one of the things that this makes me think about is the Eddie Izzard bit where they're like, I come from Europe where the, where the history comes from. (laughs) And I I wonder if to some extent the ghosts show works on a fundamentally different level, starting on the BBC television network set in England, because there's literally just so much more documented history of human occupation. I mean, yes, the, the United States and North America has been occupied by human beings for many thousands of years, but much of that has sort of been lost to us because, you know, smallpox blankets and things. Um, And so I think there, I wonder if there's a sense of being able to kind of make the like multiplex of ghosts work in a very different way. 
over I, there than it would have here. I haven't yeah. watched the CBS version. I've only seen the commercials. But even in the commercials, I, I noticed the ghosts are different. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because they, yeah. they, they don't have that history that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if they do, I mean, that I think that the, you could play the horror angle very differently in the United States because, yeah, if you're if you're going with the all of the occupiers of this land and occupiers of this physical structure, if it's a historical home or whatnot, like there's going to be some like, what do you do with the Chautauqua tribe? You know, people yeah. who were who were there first. What do you do with the um, I don't know, the Viking settler ghosts or so on? Like it would be a very different dynamic. It would. And, and I need to point out this is a comedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And that made, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a comedy. And mm-hmm. it's funny because there there's a scene on the BBC one, and I think they replicate it on the CBS show, but there's a scene where the power goes out and they have to go downstairs and like start the boiler or something to get power going again, yeah. furnace or something. And, uh, you know, they go down the stairs and they turn the lights on and there's a ton of ghosts around them that they can't see. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's trying to get the boiler going and the ghosts are like, no, you're doing no. You're oh my god, you're doing it wrong. No, you gotta you gotta push this first. And you, no, no, oh, you gotta do this. Listen to us. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. You gotta, and they're trying to tell the guy, and he's just like messing around doing stuff, and he's not doing anything right because he has no yeah. clue what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just hilarious. And then and they're like, no, no, leave the light on. Leave the light on. No, no, leave the light on. Please leave the light on. And he turns the light off and walks. And, like, and then you just hear, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do love horror horror comedy that has like a, a meta awareness of its genre where it's sort of it's winking at itself. That's one of my favorite moves right there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I, I this is a little non-standard of a move. So if 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 y'all She's can pulling indulge, out the book. She's pulling out yeah, the I, I, am, I am we don't do this. This is not a thing we normally do. We don't like and now there will be the recitation of the stuff from the guest's book. But it, I, I imagine at this point there have to be listeners who are like, but okay, but like, what is going on with how to survive a, a human attack? Is it just like an endless list of, of FAQs or like, how is it structured? And the answer is sort of, how isn't it structured? <laughs> like the, like there are, there are diagrams and there are illustrations of field guides to different human types and so on. And there are, there's the entire section for Kaiju, which hilariously is in large print. Um <laughs> Uh, although they're not referred to as kaiju there. And this is from, this is actually from the zombie FAQ section. Uh, FAQ number four. Humans fast. How I bite into skull. (laughs) It's hard to believe, but relative to other animals, humans are slow. Even the fastest human ever documented ran just 27 miles per hour and maintained that velocity for only a few seconds. And yet, Humans eat animals that can outrun them twice over or outweigh them by so much that trampling should be an easy defense. How do they do it? Humans believe they are dominant and belief can become reality. They let panicked animals defeat themselves. There's a song in The Lion King called The Circle of Life in which, via animated lions that represent humans themselves, humans teach their offspring that eating friends from other species is the natural order. The zebras in the movie are somehow totally cool with it. The humans don't like the circle of life theory when they're the ones staring into the chomping Pac-Man mouth of that circle. (laughs) Humans are primitive creatures that are afraid to die and afraid to suffer. You represent mortality and pain. 
and these truths will always stun them, the more the humans think about death, especially their own deaths, the more panicked they'll get and the more confused, like a bird that bashes against its own reflection. Bring home the point by ripping off your own finger or rip off an ear as you approach. It's a small price to pay for those brains. <laughs> so like what I was talking before about kind of the satire and the comedy and all of that, like it's there. Like there's so, yes, uh, you can you can be like me. My recent pastime has been reading sections of how to survive a human attack out loud using the recently passed Halloween holiday as my excuse for doing so, <laughs> um, which for a brief time endeared me to the members of my household. And now they see me with the book and they're like, oh, shit, and they're just like going the other direction. <laughs> So, so now they have to survive a me attack. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, so meta. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I'm proud of me. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! So I have to ask, like, wh when you write something like this, do you feel like ah, I have scratched this itch, the project is done, or does it make you start thinking about other different kinds of like weird projects that could spin off from this direction? Like, I don't want to. Well, I don't want thing, you to feel like you have to show your whole hand, oh, but I yeah. am curious. No, I, mean, I think one thing is when it was such a collaborative project because the illustrations, I mean, I when I first wrote the Swamp Monster Makeovers, which is his section, yeah. um, I tried to illustrate it myself. And there are illustrations in the magazine version of it that I had done. But I mean, obviously having a professional illustrator takes things to a different level. And... Um, but it turns out also that illustrators take up a lot of space in a book. Yeah. Um, a lot of the real estate, like, you know, that we had planned out went to illustrations and they're so amazing. Um, but it meant that I had chapters and chapters more of other monsters that I wanted to protect. <laughs> that, I spell that a sequel. That didn't get into the book. <laughs> and so when at the very end that we were trying still at the very last moment trying to come up with you know, exactly how the subtitle would read because we didn't exactly know who would be included by the final cut. And so it was always going to be how to survive a human attack, but it was like, who was it a guide for was mm -hmm. always kind of in flux. And, um, and in the final moment, we had to go back through and edit out the whole book because we realized there were no aliens in there. And, oh. um, which was like a huge blow for me because I was like, Oh, Oh, I wanted to do that. <laughs> and so um, then I ended up actually um, about two months ago, as the book was coming out, I um, was watching Malignant with my husband, um, you know, the movie, um, horror movie that's pretty recently out that got a lot. I don't want to spoil too much about it, but, um, you know, there's a kind of parasite idea in the movie and I became really uh, like, oh, that was one of the ones I really wanted to do was like parasite, alien parasites, although that's not what this movie is about. It just got me going on that. So I actually ended up writing a new one and publishing it after the book came out <laughs> um, <laughs> because I was just like, I, I have to, I can't not do it. And it was, um, it was all about, it was the same idea we've talked about that, you know, most of the time alien parasites, it's like, well, they don't have mobility. That's the whole point. So they don't end up in your body unless you went to them. You had to yeah. go invade their space in order to become, you know, a host for this parasite. So that um, there's always that scene in the movie where somebody's like 
you know, don't, hey, uh, don't touch that. Hey, wait, don't, yeah. are you, yeah. are you taking your helmet off? Like, what's going on? Why are on? you licking you that? Yeah, yeah. Are you licking that? Like, <laughs> maybe don't lick that. Like, is, is this breathable air? Like what's happening? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just became really taken with that idea that, um, you know, you were invited, you were invited to come and mm-hmm. this is your long-term host. And, you know, they're somehow uninviting you. Like they seem really hostile toward you, um, even though they invited you to come. So I ended up looking at, um, literally looking at long-term guests etiquette primers. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like how to be a good long-term guest, you know, um, so that you could, you know, prolong your stay and have harmony um, as mm-hmm. much as you could, but understand that your host, you know, might have their own issues going on. And, you know, that's, that's not your fault. Have you, ever I'm assuming, read- I'm assuming the Gua Wuld never read that because, because oh. they're, they're assholes. <laughs> no, no, probably separately not. Um, cause they went down a completely different path. They're like, we're going to pretend to be your gods. <laughs> that works. Yeah, sure. You do you. You know, it's kind of, there's sort of a weirdly elitist thing going on there, too. Because if you think about it, like, the human body is just full of bacteria and microbes and things that our body doesn't actually naturally produce. We sort of pick it up from the environment around us, like our skin alone. Sorry, Charlie, like, even if you took a shower first thing this morning, if somebody takes a scraping of your of your arm, you're going to find some gnarly stuff going on there. It's just the way we are. Um, it's really just kind of classist. That they're that here we are full of bullcrap anyway, and they're like, oh no, this bullcrap came from someplace that I didn't, whatever. Like this isn't this is ethically sourced bullcrap or something that got into my body. So it's like, um, yeah, there's a, there's a certain like a yeah, poor poor symbiotes. They're just yeah, trying to symbiote. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, I mean, so I think was, the final title for that was something like how to be a good long-term guest, a primer for alien parasites or something like that. <laughs> and um, it was published in Points and Case, which is a like a humor site that's associated with Second City, um, mm-hmm. if anyone wants to look at it. But it's, so it's kind of like the outtakes kind of idea, you know, yeah, um, yeah. at the end of the DVD or something. But um, it, you know... I just, yeah, I just started thinking, like, once I got into it, just going off your point about, like, the human body, like, once I started thinking about it, it's like, well, there's, like, the arteries are probably clogged, there's probably, like, you know, like, so I started thinking about, you know, like, yeah, like, you might, like, if you were doing an Airbnb, and then you went there, and it was, like, you know, kind of a mess, like, you shouldn't, even though you're trying to be helpful, you probably shouldn't try to clean it up, right? Mm, You know, just things like that, like, you know, you might be tempted to kind of rearrange the furniture as it were maybe you think you're being helpful but you know if there was a tumor already growing you should probably just help it along rather than you know yeah, rock the boat they, probably, they might want that there yeah you yeah. don't know yeah it could be like a maybe it's a family heirloom tumor or something <laughs> right. yeah it's not a tumor uh, have you ever i well, i'm going to leave you with a with a reading recommendation i don't know if you're familiar with it but have you ever read it was published in nature magazine originally i think it's been anthologized other places since then john wiswell's story the tentacle and you 
Oh no, that sounds. Oh awesome. my god, you need to just you I need to just Google, <laughs> you need to just Google it as soon as we're done with this because it is one thousand percent up your alley. Short version of it is it's a it's a multi step guide for now that you have been given your alien tentacle, what to expect, um, <laughs> you know, and how's that going to go, and the people around you, and managing social interactions now that you have an alien tentacle and, and so forth. And where was that um, published? Nature Magazine. Nature Magazine. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The Tentacle in You I by John Wiswell. John Wiswell's whole oeuvre, I think, actually would really vibe for you because he's all about, like, he has a wonderful story that is, it's basically guess who's coming to dinner, except it's a tentacle monster um, who's being taken home by her boy, by, by the tentacle monster has, has a human girlfriend and he's coming home to meet the family for the first time. And he's just kind of nervous about how it's going to go. <laughs> Um, there's, there's a lovely story that was nominated for lots of awards this year, including the Hugo called haunted house on, uh, the, um, open house on, on the haunted, Jesus Christ. What is it? What is it, Patrick? Open house on haunted Hill. Um, that is literally like, there is a haunted house that's on the real estate market and it just wants somebody to live in it so it can haunt them, please. It's from the point of view of this, of the house. Um, and it's just, it's wonderful. Um, so yeah, his, his whole, his whole thing is your jam. Oh my gosh. I would love that. That sounds amazing. Thank you. All right. So since I'm like flinging recommendations around here, do we want to go to picks of the week? I think we should. Picks of the week. So Patrick, what are you, what are you wanting to recommend this week? Oh, I'm going to do the low hanging fruit. I'm just going to say the, the BBC version of ghosts. It's it's available on HBO Max. If you have HBO Max, go check it out there. It's hilarious. It really is. It's got that British sense of humor. It can be very dry at times. And uh, I just, the ghosts have such great personalities and, and it's just, it's worth it. You know, check that out. I definitely recommend checking that out before you check out the CBS version. I always yeah. recommend that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, watch Being Human on the BBC before you watch the the one that was done by the channel formerly known as sci-fi mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Just, just always check out the original first, the office, check out the Ricky Gervais version before you check out the, the Michael NBC Shurer version. version. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, BBC ghosts it's on HBO max. I've already told you about it. It's hilarious. Go watch it. All right. How about you, Kathy? Uh, well, I was thinking, um, in my in the in my how to twin um, is how to Mars by David Ebenbach, who I oh, know has right. been on your show. Yeah, yeah, um, he was with us a couple months ago. Yeah, and I just loved his book so much. I recently read it, and um, he it's a book about um, a group of people who go to Mars as part of a reality TV show. <laughs> so it's a it's a novel. It's kind of a novel. It's kind of short stories it's written in a really funny voice of like an instruction manual. So that's the how to aspect of it, you know, where um, it's like all the rules of like what these people in this reality show are allowed to do on Mars and what they're not allowed to do on Mars. And so in a way it sort of ends up forming almost a religious text. I I mean, like a first, like if you were the first people in a civilization, but the, but the voice of it is so kind of like instruction manually but if you think about it, I guess, you know, the Torah or the Bible or whatever would have been an instruction mm-hmm. manual at the time in the voice that it was written in and in its contemporary language, I suppose, would have 
felt more like an instruction manual to the people at the time. So yeah. it's not written in an ancient language or anything to us now. It's written in contemporary language, but it sort of forms like all the rules that you need to make a society. Um, mm -hmm. But, it, you know, I'm making it sound really heavy. It does have some philosophical aspects to it, clearly, but it's, um, it's really funny, like really funny <laughs> and bizarre um, and just such a funny imaginative idea the way he handles it. So I definitely recommend it. It's fantastic. All right. Awesome. So I, I feel like I'm taking it. Uh, this is a how-to book as well, but I feel like I'm taking us to to a to a different place tonally. But it's it's important. This is like it's a real how-to book, not satirical in any way. Um, it's written by Lee McIntyre, who's a research fellow at the Center for Philosophy and History at Boston University. Which is going to sound like, oh no, this is this is Townsend doing another one of those like boring academic book wrecks. But wait. Um, I think a lot of us need to be reading this right now. It's called but How wait, to there's Talk more. Yes, <laughs> but wait, there's more. It's called How to Talk to a Science Denier. Ooh. Um, and it is specifically about it's 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 written in a very narrative sort of way from his own experience, like going to flat earth conventions or going to like anti-vax workshops or things like that. And just listening to people and trying to get a read on what what makes someone a science denier. And it's a really interesting combination of a how-to guide and a narrative. Um, because it, for one thing, it shows a lot of respect um, without sort of making the people who are the targets of his efforts to sort of understand and persuade, it, it, without treating them as like the butt of some kind of uh, political joke or anything like that. He really kind of looks closely at like, what are, what are some of the trends in the way they think that define what gets them there? This sort of, and he reaches the interesting conclusion that none of them, not a single one of them thinks of themselves as a science denier. They think of themselves as a skeptic at, for one particular issue. I am a flat earther or I don't trust vaccines or I don't believe in climate science or things like that. Um, but none of them, like the flat earthers all flew in airplanes to get to the conference. Um, and, you know, they, they were using cell phones to get their lifts to come and pick them up from to, to, to get them from the terminal and then back to where the conference would be, which requires satellites to be communicating data and whatnot. And so there are lots of things that are internally consistent, inconsistent um, in the way that they look at the world that he looks at kind of closely. And he comes up with some really interesting and frankly workable, don't do it at the Thanksgiving table. I know you want to. Don't. <laughs> just don't. It's that time of year, kids. Just save it for, I don't know, pie afterwards or something. Um, so it's, it is but, okay to talk about 3.14 at the yeah, that one. Yeah, totally fine. Okay. Yeah, just 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 start shouting numbers, and pretty soon you'll either be the star of the party or totally uninvited. It'll be fine. Um, but yeah, so it kind of gives you a, a bit of a toolkit that is a mix of sort of compassionate and actionable and practical. So Lee McIntyre's "How to Talk to a Science Denier." There is a there's a British uh, actor and comedian, and he's been in a lot of different things. Richard Aoud. Okay. A Y O A D E. He was in the IT crowd, mm -hmm. and uh, he's the guy with the hair. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he has some really funny bits about that, yeah. like talking mm -hmm. to science deniers. If you if you mm -hmm. Google them, there there's some good stuff out there that he. <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it. So so just go <laughs> go check it out. Uh, search for him. It's some good stuff. Uh, and then you you hit my you hit my wheelhouse because I have spent the last week just sitting here, you know. Every day I get up in the morning, I check the news, and I go, "Oh fuck me, Aaron Rodgers, really? 
<laughs> it really, it's really? been. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But do you think Aaron uh, Rodgers is studying how to talk to us? No, no. I think Aaron Rodgers no. <laughs> is in his own little bubble. <laughs> well, and it, it, yeah, his his he's got you know his it's 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 his it's his own little bubble, and and people shouldn't be mean to him. He's he's yeah. taken a he's taken like a, a page out of uh, Drew Brees's yeah book or something like don't be mean to me it's very it, yeah it's really disappointing um but i think one of the things mcintyre's book acknowledges is that there's this sort of um solipsistic way of expecting social interactions to go that sometimes follows along science denying circles where they expect you to listen to them and they expect you to take them seriously but efforts to talk to them that aren't engaging them tonally in a way that they're comfortable with or that aren't adequately, you know, rhetorically respectful of them are sometimes used as an excuse to kind of revert to form and revert to script and to sort of say that you're, there's in the case of Rogers, there's like, there's like a woke mob or whatnot. Um, And so there's, you know, one of the things that McIntyre talks about is that you can't expect there to be like a socially level playing field where you're going to come in with a certain set of like, behaviors and manners or things and that they're going to sort of meet you halfway there mm-hmm. that you kind of have to be one of the reasons that it's so hard to do and lots of people just don't engage in these conversations productively is that it's very taxing and the rate of return on them can be pretty low mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's easy to give up you know but i think that yeah. it seems like yeah. the, the book that you're suggesting which sounds very interesting is kind of giving people a way not to give up you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would be that is important. All right. Well, I feel like I, I just put a big bummer bomb in the middle no, no, of everything. Which I, means I, I went, down the, I went down the Aaron Rodgers road, so I I put the bummer on. Well. But, you but, the bummer let's, assist. Really. Yeah, let's, let's, team let's, bummer. Yeah, let's spin it back to an interesting <laughs> book. Indeed. So, if you folks, if you're interested in finding how to survive a human attack or finding out more about Kathy Flan, who publishes under K.E. Flan, at least for purposes of how to survive a human attack, you better listen up about where to find her and find her stuff. Kathy, where is that? Uh, well, I mean, it's the book is wherever books are sold. I mean, any place you like to buy books, I always like to give a shout out to Seven um, Eleven. Any, any yes, always um, coffee, whatever. Um, yeah. But like. It, um, independence obviously i mean whatever your favorite is is always great but um any place books are sold is is great and are you on the social medias i am i'm on twitter and i'm on facebook and i'm a little bit on instagram um it's like a i have like you know my 10 family members or something that on there but we just share dog pictures or whatever what, what's your what's your twitter handle <laughs> um it's um at kathy flan okay but Two you can ends also on find that me flan. under flan if you search me yeah okay all right well thanks so much for being with us today kathy it was a lot of fun oh thanks for having me this was super super cool um you guys are the best and it's that time the show where the episode is over but you want more Well, you can't stay here, but you don't have to go home either. Unless you want to go home, in which case you can totally go home. But you still need something to listen to, right? Because this episode is over. Well, have I got a deal for you. It's called Beyond the Trope. And it's a podcast that's eerily similar to this one. Hmm. Anyway, Giles and Michelle are the forces behind Beyond the Trope. 
and they have a new episode every week, just like we have a new episode every week. They talk with best-selling authors, award-winning actors, and other leaders in the creative community, and then share those interviews over at their website, beyondatrope.com. Isn't that convenient? So again, if you're looking for something else to listen to now that this episode is over, go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They even have a Patreon with extra stuff for people who back them, just like we do. So if you like what they do, visit their Patreon and back them. And as always, if you like what we do, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com functionalnerds and back us. We have tons of cool things. Now, I've got this theory about Doctor Who Flux. It all begins back in a 1976 episode in the Tom Baker... Wait, wait, no, no, don't, don't fade out. This stuff is important. People want to hear this.